Today we play golf. Let me show you how we do it in the pros. Welcome to Behind the Golf Brand Podcast. I never miss with the 7-Iron. A conversation with some of the most interesting innovators and entrepreneurs behind the biggest names in golf. My friends were the golf clubs. I lived on the golf course. I lived on the driving range. From Pro Talk. You should learn something from each and every single round you play. To fun from on and off the green. Why would you play golf if you don't play it for money? Just let me put the ball in the hole. This is Behind the Golf Brand Podcast with Paul Liberatore. What's up, guys? Paul from Golfers Authority. Welcome to the Behind the Golf Brand podcast. We are on episode 63. That is crazy to me. This week, I have my good friend Shane Yang from Live View Sports. I've been working with Shane for about, I don't know, two and a half, three years. His story is amazing, how he came up with Live View and the whole product line they have. And I'm really excited to have him on the show because like, this is a item that I use with my golf bag and I use it for my own golf training so it's really cool how like like he always developed it and stuff so without further ado welcome to the show Shane. Hi Paul good to be on the show. I <laughs> like all worrying me it's all quiet I, I was like uh oh he's not hearing me all right so <laughs> well, it's been 63 shows so that's that's a great milestone congratulations. 60, I started this like last April and it's like I, I try to do like one a week if I can sometimes I might go, go two weeks out or something but just depending on scheduling that's and stuff, a lot but. actually that's like that's a big commitment to do this every week and I, I know because we're running um, our channel right now and we're trying to do one a month and I think we're lucky if we get six out a year so it's, really it's a lot of effort to put these things so are you together. guys doing a podcast too or are you guys just doing YouTube? not a right podcast now? we're just doing youtube right so we have yeah. um our youtube channel just kind of showing off different ways to use the live view smart we pair up with um uh, todd kolb over at us golf tv todd is a is a great coach he works with angela sanford uh he runs the academy up there but yeah so I, you know once a month they, they do a, a video on how they use the live view in in uh in coaching and in practice you know our job is basically just to kind of help them feed them material and then you know get the get the youtube videos up but yeah it's a lot of effort i i gotta give you props for getting these up once a week i mean it's it's a lot of work so when i first started it was like right in the middle of covid it was a perfect zoom call for the first year really but the quality of Zoom is not all the best, you know, but at least it gives you the files so then you're able to like remaster them and stuff like that. But I didn't know anything. And like I just helped my friends at different golf brands have their own podcasts. And I was like really grateful to have them like help me figure it out. You know, like what to buy, what platform, blah, blah, blah. That's a lot. Right. It's a little bit of a learning curve, but I enjoy it. And I'm really excited to have you on the show because like seriously – Shane and I were talking about this before the show where like how we met actually through like Todd and all those guys like two and a half years ago. But to me, it's cool because I'd never really talked to Shane before. Like we emailed back and forth, but I've never like talked to him, talked to him. So it's kind of cool to finally talk to him. So my first question to you today is what's your first memory in golf? Like how long you've been golfing and what do you remember? Like what's your first memory? So I'm kind of a late starter. And I'll, I'll tell you sort of my story. I don't know if anybody really wants to hear this, but it's probably they similar do. to some, a lot of the, a lot of the late golfers. It. So I think there's like two types of golfers. There's the, the golfer who's, who grew up with it, their, their grandfather or their father taught them, and they've had clubs ever since I can remember. So that's not me. I'm, I'm the kid who watched his friends golf. So I had um, uncles and cousins, and they all ran, ran companies all the time. So they're doing all this stuff on the golf course. And so my cousins are those guys. My cousins grew up with a golf club in their hand. And my cousin, Steve, 
he, you know, he's like a three handicap and, you know, he, he hit the ball 300 yards before all the modern technology came out. Right. I kind of always watched them. And I was so that that was like my earliest memories, actually not me playing golf it's me watching other people play golf. I always felt like there was a sense of community that they had, like they would go out in the golf course and they come back. And after they came back, they would always have all these stories. Uh, all these stories to tell about what happened. And, you know, they seemed so happy whenever they came back. And so when I was old enough, um, I, I finished college and then I went to grad school. I went to law school and, and in law, law school? school, I just, yeah, I'm actually a, lawyer? A, a, a reformed lawyer. I haven't done that for Dude, I'm a lawyer. Like 20 years now. Are you really? I'm, yeah. Like I'm practicing like no joke right now. Nice. Yeah. For reals. What kind of law? Business, IP, uh, real estate, that kind of stuff. Okay. A little well, litigation, that's, that's, too. That's great. I, I did... We'll uh, talk about so, that off, uh, offline, the life of a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so when I when I started first um, working, you know, it's kind of one of those things that I really wanted to get into. I really wanted to get into golf. You know, that was kind of the reason why, you know, I, I always had this this love and this obsession almost with golf because I saw sort of how it affected the other members in my family and how they were just really, really close because of it. So then when I took it up, I took it up much later. I think I was 25 or 26 when I first started playing and I was terrible. Um, in fact, I was terrible for most of my life. You know, I, I took lessons but really what kind of got me really interested in sort of the more technical aspects of golf was when my when I had kids and my um, oldest daughter, who's uh, now a junior in college, wow. um, she started taking golf when she was 13. So at that time, she we started taking lessons. We went through a couple of different coaches. I didn't really know anything about coaching, but um, through a number of different things, we found a coach that we really liked. The problem was the coach was all the way down in Monterey and we're based out of San Jose, California. So that's about that's a long drive. A drive. Yeah. That's a long yeah. drive. You know, it's, it's an hour and a half. And, uh, you know, for those of you who are serious, you know, it's not something you can do like once a year, especially with a young golfer, you're kind of trying to set their swing. So we were doing this drive probably once a week, once every other week. And it was just that's a so lot cool. of driving. It's like three hours a week of driving. Yeah, exactly. Three three hours for uh, you know hour and a half there, and then an hour less and an hour and a half back. So it's like five. You should have moved to Monterey. We we actually thought about that at one point. Oh really? (laughs) But uh, yeah, no. All of our stuff is based out of San Jose. So, but you know, it was just a really it was a really intense time for us. My daughter uh, got good actually really fast, like a lot of kids do. She went from literally shooting in the hundreds to, you know, probably being a single digit and probably under two, under two years. That's insane. And now she, um, she actually in 2018, when she was 17, she qualified for the U S women's am and actually made the cut. Oh, um, now she's playing, um, at UC Irvine and the women's golf team. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Yeah. So that's it's really been, cool. Uh, it's, it's and also an you're old. Journey. I didn't know that you're old. So that's funny. <laughs> I'm older. <laughs> so did you where'd you grow up you grew up in california i grew up in texas did you really so i'm from houston originally and then i moved to uh-huh. california basically for work in around 98 or so did you go to law school in texas or did you go to law school in california i went to law school up east i went to law school in new york what, what school 
Uh, I went to uh, Cornell. Dude, you're freaking like super smart. Holy crap. Where'd you go to undergrad at? You're like, oh, I went to undergrad no, at Harvard. No. no, I went to University of Texas. So I did I did four years oh, man, Texas you're, at University of Texas. You're making, a, you're making a lot of fans right now. Yeah, see? Like, like <laughs> you're at the two cool schools. So growing up, though, so you grew up in Texas, right? And like your family played golf, but you didn't really play. I mean, you played a little bit, probably like, but not really played golf. Right. And then... Right. Then you went to undergrad. Then you went to law school. So it's always interesting to find out like the, the like the entrepreneurs behind golf brands because it's all over the gambit. You have guys that were in the golf world, you know, like grew up playing golf and like were you know semi-professional or whatever. And there's guys like you and me, right? We're just like you know we play. It's fun. I'm not that good. I, that's the part of the whole thing about golf, right? You're always trying to get better. So after you graduated law school, then you moved to Texas. I mean, you to California then after that? Because um, isn't your background like what, what? What kind of law were you practicing? So that's kind of how I got into the tech world in general. So um, I was doing kind of high corporate finance, like that type of stuff. We're doing M and A, and then towards the end of uh, well, the end of my career. My career lasted about five years. As far as lawyers are concerned, it's not the longest, but it's not a short career either. Yeah, and, because um, you learn a lot in those first five years, especially if you're doing like yeah. high profile stuff. Like, like if you're if your boots on the ground, you learn so much that you you get you usually get picked, like cherry picked. You know what I mean? From like a bigger corporation, or you realize like, hey, this sucks. I mean, it's one of two things. <laughs> so I was kind of in the latter camp. I was like, you know, uh, so my my path through it was I, you know, I worked in corporate, general corporate. We're doing mergers and acquisitions, and then I moved into corporate finance. And from corporate finance, I actually ended up transferring to venture finance. I was actually working with um, some of the funds the, that were funding a lot of these startup companies in the um, '90s, like early 2000s. Uh, this was in the late '90s. Yeah, in the holy late crap, 90s. that's like the heyday. Yeah, exactly. So That'd it was, fun time it was so much fun, but it was also crazy. And um, the and one thing money. I learned out of it, it, for me, the biggest thing coming out of this all was just, I'd much rather be on the company side than on the legal side, right? Because as a lawyer, you kind of, you're doing all the day to day, the due diligence, you're like drafting documents, you're reviewing documents, you're you're worrying about everything. Things. You're like right. triple, quadruple checking everything. You're right. managing emotions on the client side and on the other side, and you just want to get the deal done. Oh, I know it sucks. Like yeah. it's like you're a parent, you know, with a bunch of rich adults. That's what it is. It's, rich kids. Yeah. You know, being being sort of the adult in to me, it felt like being having to be the adult in the room with a bunch of kids that are having fun, right? So yeah, it's like you're having fun, and you're not, and they're going to make major, they're making major money, right? Like you're getting paid like they're making so much more money. It's like I know we got some deals going on that like at my firm, it blows my mind how much money like it. It's like more money I could ever imagine to have in my entire life, and I was just like, are you kidding me? You know, and it's like. Then you have to manage those expectations. Not, yeah, it's not fun. But um, you know, it's it's exciting. I think in terms of things that are going on, and to me, being part of that on the on the legal side, I was very clear that I wanted to be on the company side. I've always kind of graduated, uh, gra- gravitated towards technology. I taught myself how to code when I was sixteen. I was never a computer science major. Uh, my uh, my major undergrad was economics and finance, and then you know I went to law school. I was doing corporate. 
I've always loved technology. I've always loved computers and programming. You know, to the point when I was in law school, I, I had four, uh, three roommates. And one of the biggest fights, and you know, some of you guys probably relate to this, when you're in college, well, probably not anymore, but in college, we, we used to have to pay the phone bill by the minute. All right, this, is, this, this will date me how old I am. So nah, we we're pretty our, close, man. Yeah. So we had we had our phone bill by the minute, and and we actually had to um, we would allocate who had to pay how much on the phone bill because everybody's making long distance calls because we're all you know away at school. Yeah, you're in law school. You're all in the middle of Upper New York. Exactly. It just got to be this thing. Like every month, like there would be like fifty dollars of unclaimed phone calls, and I just got so sick of it, right? Because like, who's gonna pay for this? You have so no money. Writing. You have like no money exactly. either. So like this is, $50, like a million dollars. It was back a lot at it the was. time. It was a lot. <laughs> you could buy a steak back then for like 10 cents. That's how much <laughs> well, that's how old Shane is. Not quite that old. But, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I actually wrote a program that would analyze the Holy phone crap. bill. And, um, you know, it sort like all the known calls. Like I know for sure this is you and this is you. And then it goes to the remaining calls. And then it assigned like, a, you know, by, by the time of call, we kind of figure out who was home based on the schedule. So we got the discrepancies down to like less than a buck. But the point was, it probably took me a week to write this program to figure out how to, how to assign all the, all the phone calls. Um, but I enjoyed it. It was fun, right? I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I like to do. So then yeah, it's um, calming when, to you too, I bet. Like it's for, like when you code or when you're building something on, I feel like online, to me, it's very calming. Like it's just like yeah. you control variables and you're, if it doesn't work, you can fix it right then and there. You know you what get I mean? You get immediate feedback. I think that's, like, that's yeah, you're not waiting. Like coding. Yeah, exactly. Like bit. you can, you can test it. You can, you know, to me, debugging is actually very therapeutic because you can actually test things and you can see immediately what works and kind of go, you know, it's, it's a very methodical process. In the late 90s, I was really big into music, into online music. You know, we actually, uh, I, I had access to, you know, MP3s before they were like a thing, right? Well, plus you're and, in California um, when all that was going on. Like, yeah. like the late 90s, like, if you're, I, I feel like I, I went to college in the late 90s, right? And like, mm -hmm. you know, I felt like when you're in college, it doesn't matter where you were in the United States, but if you're in college, like, I feel like college kids are really on the cutting edge of where technology is happening, right? Whether it be MP3s, like, yeah. that was a big deal. Do we even have burners back then? I think we might start getting burners back then. Like, we had you know, burners. Like yeah. So people started burning custom CDs. So that was, like, the fun thing that I used to do. I, I Basically, we, you know, we get these MP3s, we burn custom CDs, and then send them around to all of our friends. Like, Yeah. So we make, like, like, playlists and crap like that. Yeah. And, like... Exactly. Yeah. So and then, I, when, I was, like, when I was in college, listen to this. My fraternity, like, I had a bunch of like CS. I went to Purdue for undergrad, and so I had a oh, bunch wow. of like CS majors, right? That were my my frat, and so they like this is like like 98, 99, something there. We built a server. Well, they didn't do it, but they built a server, and they made everybody dump all their MP3s into the server. So we had this mega, mm -hmm. like, we had our own Napster, pretty much, right? It was like humongous. That's and then, like, we all had access to it, and we just, like, all share it or play it at parties, you know, or burn a CD because, like, you know, you had the, you know, you could play it on your car back then. It was a big deal, like, get a, a burn CD. So that was a fun time. So that, I probably still had that exactly, music somewhere. That's exactly the concept that, that um, I went off of, right? So um, that's exactly what's happening. People had these massive servers with all of this content. Around that same time, Napster launched. And, um, you know, kind of being from the legal side, my, my concept was, like, well, 
you know, I, I know Napster has legal problems. So is there a way to kind of do this more above board? So instead of just letting people download things, can you create custom playlists? This is something that happens like routinely nowadays, right? But back yeah, then, Spotify, it was right? Same thing I'm saying. It's like you're not. It's literally Spotify or yeah, Pandora. Exactly. Well, mostly Spotify. So that was my first company. So we actually created one of the first streaming music companies. We raised, I think, mean, $10 million um, in that first, you know, dot-com bubble. Late and when yeah. all the lawsuits hit, you know, unfortunately, the company didn't survive that. It was just not a good time to be in the music business. But yeah, that's how, how I kind of transitioned from being a lawyer into technology. So that kind of gave So were me, you doing that on the um, side while you were still practicing law? I, it started as a side hustle, but very quickly, it just became so all-consuming that I ended up quitting my law firm job in 98. And then, You're you know, I did that full time. Yeah, well. You are. It was fun. It was just so much fun at the time, right? To just kind of be fully immersed. And, and I told you, right, that, that's kind of, I always knew I wanted to be on the company side. I didn't want to be on the legal side of all of it. And that was kind of my, my decision point. Well, it's cool. Point. My opinion with being a lawyer, the plus side, right, is you have a legal mind, right? So you can see mm -hmm. things a million miles ahead before it even happens, right? You can prepare for it. You can, like, you already kind of know how to be in business kind of because you're helping people through their own business issues, which are major issues, you know? And then you also like, at least for the, with my practice, like I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. And so it's like, it's cool to see, I don't know, be immersed in that world. I think, I mean, I love it. That's, mm -hmm. that's what I love to do. So then what happened with that? They just like go away. They just close it down. You're like, all right, we're out. We're not going to mess yeah, with this. Yeah. So where where that led me was it gave me um basically my first software team right so when i when i first started out i was doing everything myself i was coding everything myself i was setting up which is impossible myself, to do which was you know i mean it was like a little bitty company but then when we got funding you know, i think we had at one point like 50 people or something uh i had 10 engineers 10 10 software developers and when everything crashed the good thing was that we were able to actually find some really cool people so through that i, I kind of started working with my first software team you know that kind of helped me transition more fully into the management side of technology and it kind of gave me this understanding of sort of what you need to do in order to have more formal structures when you build you know larger projects enterprise software so we ended up you know we survived we ended up just writing uh, software code for uh, as, as contractors um there was at the time you know even today there's still tons of software right software kind of rules the world these days um, even though the companies went under all those developers, most of them didn't have trouble finding jobs. And so that, that was us. So, you know, we, that's like we my cousin, my cousin, he's working in the lab, like a CS lab at like U of I and mm -hmm. his friends that he had were friends with in the CS, they all like the year before, you know, they all went to San Francisco and they started like a website or a, a system service. Right. And then like, they're like, Hey, come out to California. And he was like, okay. So then he goes out to California <laughs> They like he works for his company. He's living in the city, like in the Castro district, rent controlled apartment, mind you, a big wow. ass one in the Castro. My they lived there for like fifteen years, right? It's like they paid nothing. They paid like two thousand dollars a month or something crazy. But then that company, this is crazy. This is the craziest story. So then that little company that his friend and his friends were he was working at, his friends owned. They they were called E Groups, I think. They sold Yahoo bought them out in like ninety eight. So he made like a. Mm -hmm pretty sizable chunk of change right not a ton of money but 
pretty for 22 years old it's a lot of money right like you could buy a house kind of money like a house in california he retired for like you know six months and then some of his friends same thing you're saying before it's like community right some of his friends were like hey we're going to this new company called google you should come check it out you know it's like 98 they're you know they're kind of big so he went to google and was at the google for five years six years until they went public and he made a boatload of money and he like retired again at like 30 and then he took like two years off rode his bicycle everywhere and like like then races and stuff and then his what year was that like 2003 maybe and then his friends are like hey we're going this new startup called youtube you should check it out and he's like so he went to youtube it was only there for like two months and then they got bought out by google so all the stock that he got from youtube now turned to more google stock that he already had from before Like, if, like, literally, if you stepped in shit, he would find, like, the biggest diamond in the world, right? Like, I mean, I, the best timing ever. So, But it's kind of the nature, I think, of the Bay Area, right? And that's one of the really interesting things about being here and living here. You're immersed in so much technology. I think skill sets are important. So, you know, I don't know if there's a theme to these podcasts in terms of, you know, behind the brand, like, how do businesses grow and how do they succeed? I think being in the right at the right time at the right place, I think, is a huge key factor for for people to be successful, right? Yeah. And um, you know, like you said, it's like you're in the right time, right place. You can step in shit and you get a bunch of diamonds out of it. And yeah, um, literally over and over and over and over again. Right? You know, like, the Bay Area has been that kind of place um, over the last you know couple, well, several decades. Thirty actually. years, yeah, thirty years. Um, but again, it's you know it, you have to have the right skill sets and the right right. You got yeah. Right it's, there's still there's still a curve, right? There's a, we call it a learning curve, but there's a curve you have to meet. You have to be capable of the skills that are needed in that world. If you're not, mm-hmm. forget it. You're not. You know, like. But then it's also relationships and like people knowing each other and oh that guy does a good job. Oh that guy does a good job. And it's more about building like the right teams, and then attracting more talent, right? Like. So how long were you doing like the um, consulting? So we did um, kind of freelance consulting for about three years, and we did some really cool stuff um, in that time. But um, through that, I was introduced to a buddy of mine who was um, who was actually running a venture fund, and but they were based out of Taiwan. So um, to me, what the key thing to that was ta- Taiwan is where actually a lot of uh, hardware is manufactured. So a lot of your PCs, a lot of your laptops. Um, I don't know if you guys are keeping up with the news, but there's this company called TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. They make almost all of the, well, not all, but they make a large, large percentage of all the semiconductors, all the chips that we use in our iPhones, in our laptops, you know, in, in Wi-Fi chips, all of those things. So that's all comes out of Taiwan. So a lot of the computer hardware comes out of Taiwan. So the problem that Taiwan has is that um, they make stuff, but they're not really good at selling stuff, um, if that makes any sense. Um, they usually I partner think, I think with, most um, entrepreneurs have that problem too, right? Like you can invent something, but where the yeah. rubber meets the road is can you sell that something, even though it could be the coolest thing in the world, right? Like if no one's going to buy it, it doesn't matter. You know, he asked me to help them basically manage their portfolio, and their portfolio included a bunch of semiconductor things they you know really esoteric stuff like chips that protect your computer from static discharge so if you touch your computer sometimes you get that little spark that jumps across you know that that spark is like 40,000 or 50,000 volts it can actually fry everything inside your computer 
So there's actually specific chips that protect against that. But more specifically, one of the more fun projects that we did was we actually worked on a couple different camera companies. That sort of ended up becoming the genesis of what is now Live View Sports. Um, in, in that time period, we're making um, biometric sensors for um, Homeland Security. Um, you know, when you come into the country, there are like these fingerprint sensors that you use to check to see if you're really you. And so we actually made a lot of the optics in the prisons and some of the sensors for those uh, those machines just got really comfortable with the uh, the camera side about six years ago right about the time when my daughter started playing golf i just kind of had one of these moments where i thought about you know what i want to what do i want to do with my life where do i want it to be what do i want to be 10 years from now how old were you and, and had these thoughts honestly uh, i was probably in my 40. late 40s at that point, you know, I was really just kind of trying to figure out what I wanted the rest, you know, the next 10 years of my life to look like. I kind of came back to this idea of, you know, I still want to run my own company. I wanted to be something that I'm just excited every day about, you know, when I get up to be doing. And I wanted to be something that supports my family. I literally made a list of like all these criteria of all the things that I wanted this thing to do. And then on the other side, I wrote down all of my resources in terms of these are the things that I can do. These are the things I'm good at. These are the things that, you know, I want to support. And so, you know, one of the things I, I had was I, I really love playing golf, even though I'm not good at it. I really want to spend more time with my family. So, I, you know, my daughter was spending a lot of time doing golf. And, 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 and as I told you, I was spending a lot of time driving her everywhere. And then the other thing that I had as a resource was these, these camera companies that I was working with. And I thought, you know, it would be really cool be, you know, to create a golf camera company. And um, it wasn't some kind of amorphous thing. I mean, I had already kind of come to the realization at that point that there was something that we needed in order to make um, my daughter's practice a little bit more effective. Not a little, a lot, right? Because for a lot of golfers that take golf lessons, there is this disconnect between what happens in the lesson and then what happens when you're then on your own without your coach at the driving range. Right. In the lesson, everything's perfect because your coach gets you exactly to where you need. And our coach, you're not getting really... the feedback too. You're not getting no feedback. Exactly. When you're by yourself, right. and you think you get feedback in your key. head. Yeah. It's it's the it's the feedback. It's like when when you're in the lesson, your coach looks at you and he tells you exactly where you need to be, and he can give you yeah, that move feedback. Move your foot. Off. Your angles off. Blah blah. blah. Like yes. you know, and you can, and then you hit a perfect shot. And you're like, oh okay. And then you go doing the drain in the range, and you're like, not even close. Exactly. And and what ends up happening is you just don't have that awareness. And so I kind of felt like this and, and the way we initially handled it was just lots of videos. So I would stand behind my daughter with an iPhone like for hours at a time, just like video, show her video, show her video, show her. Right. I realized that it would actually be a lot more productive. It would be something that you could see live. Right. And that's how we kind of came up with the idea of, of digital mirroring, because the difference between like having an iPhone and then looking at it later, it's there's there's a time delay of when you see something and when you can make the correction and even understanding what movement creates what kind of you know geometry, what kind of um, position in the backswing. And you know that's just kind of how uh, I, I had this idea that this would be something really really useful. And at the time, the camera companies that I was working with, there were some wire some wireless technologies coming out about broadcasting video in real time. So when I saw that, I I put two and two together. I thought, you know, if I had this for my golf practice, it would be awesome, right? Because I could just see what 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 we're doing. My my daughter, I wouldn't have to constantly show her 
her video because she she could correct literally halfway in mid swing, right? She could see it and be like, oh, all right, you know, and then you don't That's need to be exactly doing like right. you're doing it wrong. I don't know, because kids don't listen to their parents anyway, so they're like, what? You yeah, know. You're like, look, you're you're doing it wrong. See. <laughs> so you initially you're just using an iPhone to record or like a camcorder or what were you doing? Yeah, um, we would just, you know, use an iPhone um, and, you know, I would just stand behind her and then just record and then show her and then record and show her. Right. And and even with that, we, we, we wouldn't do every single swing. We do maybe five or six swings in a range session would be a lot yeah. um, just because it's it's kind of a pain in the ass to like set up and then wait for the countdown. Right. So my yeah. kids are really good at, at hitting on command. You can tell them three, two, one hit, and they go exactly perfectly time it and then release. But yeah, so, but you know, it's still, it's still kind of a hassle to do all of that and then, you know, come up and then, you know, show them, rewind, trim. And then the other thing is, you know, there, I, there are some, there are really good software tools where you can draw in lines and things like that. But how much easier is it if you can see the line literally in mid swing, right? Just in terms of just being, being aware of, what it feels like to go up on plane as opposed to seeing it it's real time it's not after the fact and you're like oh let me draw the lines it's like well that's not gonna do yeah. good because that was two days ago right like yeah exactly. but in real time like you're like oh okay and then they can f- it goes right back to the programming you're getting instant feedback right like that's it and that's how you can know if you're doing something right or wrong yeah and to me the, the you know the the whole thing about getting that all started um so so there's the there's the technology piece of it and um as we started playing with it i realized there's sort of a bunch of things that that would make this more useful and more helpful you know i I think this is sort of where the growth of the company started when we first launched it was literally just a digital mirror um that was in 2000 end of 2015 um early 2016 and um we got really lucky because I had a relationship, um, an introduction to um, Dave Phillips, who is uh, the founder of the Titleist Performance Institute. Oh, wow. And so he knows like a lot of the high level coaches. And um, the other thing is he's also worked with video his entire life, right? So through a friend, um, I sent him a prototype. I said, and it was all gnarly. It was like this this PCB, this board with a camera stuck in into like this nasty, nasty, like 3d printed case, you know, it was just all kind of like glued together. It was like an iPhone. It was like all wrapped in black tape. And you're like, here, yeah, here, basically here. like imagine, <laughs> you know, if somebody tried to make an iPhone, it was like, you know, maybe like pieces of wood sandwiched together, V1. you know, yeah, <laughs> V1. Point. That's literally what it was. So we sent it to Dave and I said, look, this is something I'm working on. What do you think about it? Right. You know, like, like your feedback. Um, because I know you do a lot of coaching, you work with a lot of coaches. His feedback was incredible. He said, oh my God, this is like the greatest thing because, you know, he's literally spent his entire life working with these video products. And in his world, prior to live view, the way you do video is um, uh, you have, you know, all these cameras and, and high resolution cameras and you have to run wiring everywhere and then you got to power everything. And, and then you got these, you know, laptop pcs this is before laptops became you know prevalent like so you're carrying on bricks of pcs and then um he described to me what he used to, he used to work for david ledbetter you know he said ledbetter loved video um but you know the problem for him was he's the one in charge of setting up the video stations so he'd carry on like 32 inch crt monitors i mean those things weighed like super 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 heavy 
I yeah, like 50 exactly. pounds. I had that. And you thought you were a badass. You're like, oh, I got a 25-inch monitor. And it literally weighed yeah. like 200 pounds. Oh, I remember that. I remember. They're like $1,000. I was mean. Yeah, exactly. So they I would some, like, set that stuff up at the, you know, the driving range or in the hitting station. And, and you know, when, when we showed him sort of what we'd done, basically there's this camera and it's, you know, like this big. And then you use it with your iPhone. And it's like, that's all you need, you know? I broke my back my entire life carrying around thousands of pounds of monitors and computers and cameras. And like, now you can do this with like two hands. So he, he, he was amazed, he was shocked that that was possible. Um, and so he, he helped us a lot in terms of getting started. Uh, he introduced us to a lot of um, high level coaches. I bet. Um, and that, so, you know, helped us get, get launched. So. Until you did this, did you realize how small the golf community really was? Like, I didn't know. Like, how yeah, everyone's connected. No. It's so weird. Like, it's cool, but I, it, it just, I didn't know it was like that, you know? Yeah, it's, it's much smaller than you realize. Like, oh, yeah. like you said, I think everybody kind of knows everybody. It's, it's really interesting. That's how I grew so quickly was because I, I think – maybe a generational thing, maybe I have no idea, but like, or maybe the way I was raised, but like, if you say you're going to do something, you just do it regardless of like, if it doesn't turn out the way you want it to just follow through. Right. And I don't think a lot of people do that. I think, I think there's two issues right now. I think people always want to get paid now, like upfront for anything, right. Before they even produce anything. And then it's like, you don't build a relationship like that. I'm just buying you. Right. So it's like, but I had no idea how small the community was especially with the entrepreneur level the ownership level because everybody knows each everybody like they all do it's crazy which is cool if you're because everyone shares right and like hey this guy's a good dude you should talk to him yeah yeah so you v1 that he loves it where were you so you started producing the actual product right was that being made here or was that me being made in taiwan or were you able to use your like how did how did that come about yeah, so um, our product is made in Taiwan because, like, like I was describing, I have all the manufacturing relationships. Yeah, um, we're still using the original company that I had worked with, you know, for for a long time. But uh, the I think the really interesting part about it was the initial launch process because we launched on Kickstarter when we did. First, you really? Um, I didn't know launched. that. We did. Yeah. And um, what ended up happening was, and this is kind of where having Dave like the product was super helpful because we, we did a Kickstarter campaign and um, initially there was like no response, no feedback, like nobody knew. Just because you put something up on Kickstarter doesn't mean, you know, it gets funded. I, I think this is one of the misconceptions that people have um, or that I had, I, at least when I first started on Kickstarter. I thought, oh, you just like put it up on Kickstarter and like all these people are constantly looking at it, looking for cool projects to fund, right? Yeah. The reality is nobody knows. It, it's really hard. It, I think once you get out on social media, you realize how hard it is to stand out in a crowded marketplace. What ended up happening was Dave um, ended up tweeting about it um, to his followers and all of his followers are, you know, some of the pros. leading yeah, TPI people that are like yeah, in exactly. the world. Yeah. So once he tweeted about it, it, it finally took off, and then we met our goal. What and was your goal? That, like ten. Um, our goal was twenty thousand dollars. It was basically just enough to fund 
all we had to basically pay for tooling to you know make all the plastics and things like that and yeah so how did that we, work so if you were a, a funder or i don't know what they call those people whatever what, yeah, what deal is what they call it what deal do they get do they get like at a reduced cost i don't i just don't know they have all kinds of different things but for us it was basically a reduced cost i think at the time uh, retail was $180, and then the funders ended up getting getting it for like 130 And so you saved 50 bucks, you know, but you had to wait, you know, I think 60 days uh, to get your stuff, right? So and then, cool. oh, and then, the, yeah, so, so that was that was just a really interesting process to see how Kickstarter worked and, you know, to figure out that, you know, you actually have to advertise um, on Kickstarter uh, or, or on social media to drive people to your Kickstarter. And, and if you're trying um, to do Kickstarter and you have no money, right? And that's why you're on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, how do you promote it if you have mm-hmm. like that's the whole reason why you're on Kickstarter. So it's almost like a cycle that you came and you know, unless like your situation, you had a good product, you had the backing of somebody who really appreciated what you were doing and had the following, and it was like you're paying for it, right? It was more like, oh, cool, check it out, something cool is coming out yeah. finally, you know. Mm-hmm. So what year was that? Like 16, 15? What was that? Yeah, that was in two, early two, 2016. So that helped us get launched. And um, uh, and from there, then it was just kind of a series of iterations. We've, you know, we've been kind of iterating on the product, um, just trying to add features that we get based on user feedback. You know, we added instant replay, one of the big when we first launched, you had to like manually push a button, record, and then go back and look at it. But now we have the ability to automatically capture your swings. You just hit a ball, watch it, hit a ball, watch it, right? That was like probably the number one thing that everybody wanted to see. And that is just a software thing, right? Just developing software to do it. Right. You, have, you have to physically change the product, the physical product, right? It was more of the software-related side of it. It's kind of cool, though, to think about this, right? The way you like, you know, over 20 years of your career – how you built all these like networks and relationships and being a dad, right? And trying to make your kid better, all this together to make one product, right? Like it's pretty crazy if you think about it because if I went, try to make a product like what you have now, like I might have some of those abilities, but not all of them, right? And really need to have all of them to to get to like where you're at right now. Yeah, it's been a really interesting um, journey, I think, definitely in terms of trying to take all of these resources and all of this knowledge that you've accumulated um, in the first half of your life and, you know, trying to put it all together into something useful, I think, in the second half of your life. Yeah, exactly. And it's more about what you want to do, not what you're doing. Right. To like yes. provide for your family or provide for your family. It's really, you know, or like your lifestyle, but more of like, what do I want to do for the next half of my life that I've learned over a lot first? It's just crazy. I love it. This is awesome. I see behind you, you have the live view. Um, so can you show that closer to the camera and this like, um, yeah, that's like the one I have. So what are the different products? I know you have like the live view itself and what, and then you also have the pod. What's the pod? Because I always see that. Um, like, what's well, the live view pod? Is that the stand? Yeah, that's the stand. It's basically this thing right here. So the whole point of the pod is to, these are all basically just accessories that go with a camera. Our theory on the live view system is that um, we really wanted to be portable. You know, when, when we first started, it was just a camera and your iPhone. And the whole point 
for me was always that the best tools are the ones you have with you. It doesn't matter if you've got some crazy fancy tool that's perfect for something, but if you don't have it with yeah. you, it doesn't matter, right? For and it has to work. That's the other thing yes. too, because I have products I'm really excited about and that I have, I'm not going to name brands right now, and I paid for a subscription and it's the biggest piece of shit and it never works right. And it's like, you know, and I was like, man, this thing sucks. Like, it's like I spend more time on my iPhone trying to get this damn thing to work on the course that I just give up mm -hmm. on it. So I'm like, it doesn't, you know, like, I'm not gonna say what product it is. You guys probably can figure it out. But like, it's very disappointing, you know, and it's like, I don't know, you want something to work at that time because you have enough gadgets you can bring to the golf course right or do a round of golf but you know simplicity is key and it has to work every time and so that that's the key i think in terms of you know that's where the hardware and the software comes in but then beyond that you know everything that we do is uh, is geared towards this idea that things have to be portable and they have to be sort of ready to be used and so all of these accessories that we have you know everything's designed to fold up to be small it's something that you, you thought it through it wasn't it wasn't some yeah. like tchotchke that you you know yeah. to add to it it was like this is yeah. there's a purpose for everything you do right you, you need this, right? Uh, I mean, you can use this without it, but there, it's, there are enough use cases where it's, it's just really helpful to have. And it's not an upsell, right? It's not like, oh, you could also buy this leather pouch. It's not that at all. Yeah. It's more like, hey, we found this is cool and it would probably make it easier for you than just, you know, putting it on a bench or on top of your bag, you know, or clipping it or whatever. Yeah. So it's like. Yeah, exactly. The original Live View, if you remember, it actually has this clip here in the back. So if you see this this channel, this was actually designed originally to work with an alignment rod. And so when we first started out, oh, again, it's this smart. idea of things like, what do you have in your bag so you don't have to carry extra stuff in order to use this, right? And so we thought, well, most of the golfers who are serious who are working on stuff, I mean, you always have an alignment rod because you, know, you want to make sure you, you hit in the right direction, right? Alignment is so critical to set up. And, um, and, you know, time and time again, we've seen people push their alignment rods into the ground and we thought, you know, that would make a perfect camera stand. So that's, that's what this, this, this rod is in the back. Uh, but then as we kind of got into it, um, people are using it on concrete ranges, you know, the, uh, off of mats. So if you're on yeah. a mat, you can't push an alignment rod into the ground. It became sort of obvious that we needed something like this and, and we just want it to be really small, something that you can just put in your bag and not have to worry about, you know, even taking it out because it's just so small and compact. So when somebody purchases the Live View, what do they get? Um, what they get is just the camera. So they just get the camera and they get it in a um, nylon carrying case. Mm -hmm. So this is this is what you get. Um, again, it's got the channel at the back. So if you have an alignment rod, you can get one, you know, at Home Depot for like two bucks. So you don't have to buy a lot of extra stuff with it. And then the app is a free download. So you can get the app, um, off of the iTunes store. And then there's an Android version available on Play Store. We actually are even compatible with, um, Kindle Fire tablets. So you That's can actually cool. use it with Kindle Fire. So you can use it with... OS, right? And you can use it with mm -hmm. um, like Apple products and you can use it, mm -hmm. can you use it with Android too? Yeah, of course. So Android and, yeah. um, on the Google Play Store. Okay, so then you get that and then I know we were talking about earlier, can you show me and like the viewers later on like what the app looks like on the screen? Here's what the app actually looks oh, like. Cool. I've, I've got my iPad set up. So remember we had we had the camera right here 
So yeah. if you can see, actually, the camera is 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 showing exactly what um, the screen is showing exactly what the camera is showing. And what I've actually done is I've I've configured something that we call LV Sync, which is a dual configuration. So um, for a lot of people that are practicing, you know, you want to be able to see two cameras at the same time. You might want to see down the line and front facing simultaneously. So we actually came up with some technology. You can use your live view camera right here together with your iPhone. So this is actually the second camera that we're using. We're using the iPhone to actually video um, and, and everything's wireless, uh, sending it to our iPad over here. By doing that, you can actually get the digital mirroring from two angles at the same time. Wow. And of course, you know, the really cool thing is, you know, if you were to actually take a golf swing, you can still take it and you can record it. You can actually take a swing and then um, it'll act automatically capture it oh my and God, look at play that. it back for you in slow motion. Right, so that's how easy it is to use this. You just basically, you know, take your swing and then, then you can play it back and then it goes right back to live mode. Um, so does it record example, that yeah. too? Will it save it? Yes. For like, like the whole, so how does it save? Is it like all like a one round, not round, but like is in a folder for like, you know, okay, here's all the shots I took on Saturday or how's that work? Yeah. So um, if you look at this, basically, you know, here, here are a bunch of swings that I have. And, and I, I use this when I practice literally all the time. You see, I have like hundreds of swings um, on this thing. Um, so and you're using your iPhone for one side and the live view for behind, but you don't have to use your iPhone. It's just kind of cool to see it from two different angles. Right. Like, which exactly. is kind of, you know, and I think that's one thing that really separates you from companies that are trying to mix it all together in one product, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, you know, we record the swing and we give you shot data or whatever it is. It's like, well, this is like more useful than having a shot from behind only. Yeah. To, to me, <clears throat> um, the key thing to, to the live view system is, um, the fact that you get actual, um, video data so to me uh the shot data is the output so when you actually go hit a golf shot there there are what i call inputs and outputs right the output is what happened that that is all the stuff that happens when you finish your swing you can see how far the ball flew what you launched at um but the thing that a lot of people get obsessed with they get so obsessed with the output they forget that what creates the output is correct input right so if you don't get your club into the right position at the top, there's almost nothing that you can do in order to generate a good angle of attack to get the ball airborne or launched or get good compression or whatever um, thing you're working on specifically in your game, right? So, so this obsessions, I feel sometimes, I, and, and again, I, I use launch monitors too. Um, uh, so I think that it's useful to help you understand the quality of what you created but in order to create a quality shot, what a lot of people overlook is that you have to have a quality input, which is your swing, your backswing, and all of these other things. And that's where I think Live View kind of plugs the gap is just being able to understand specifically what kind of input creates what kind of output. Um, you know, how do you get, how do you even get True, your hands yeah. in the right position, right? How do you get a good turn? What does it feel like when you have a good turn, right? Um, because a, a lot of people... It's apples and oranges, right? A shot, yes. a shot monitor from behind is going to show you, did you hit a good shot or not? And how far did it go? Yes. What was your low? And all this crap, right? Like all the yeah. data. But it doesn't tell you like, 
did you have a normal good swing? Did you get lucky? Mm -hmm. What's you know, like the stuff that really is going to make a difference? Not, oh, I hit the ball far today, so I should be able to hit the far the ball far every single time. You know what I mean? Right. And and as you know, I mean, there's things that we do. We we compensate, and then as we start compensating, a lot of times you overcompensate, right? And um, and that's sort of a very fine line between you know hitting the ball well and then kind of just falling off the other end. Um, you know, how many of us have have worked on something in a lesson or even figured something out, and then the next day we try to do the same thing, and it's like completely wrong, like to the point where you don't even know what happened, right? And what mm. typically happens is you 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 focus on one feeling and then f you forget about everything else. And um, you know that's where live view is so helpful is just to help you understand like you're doing this right, but just because you're doing this right, you can't forget about all these other things. It's a multifaceted tool that like focuses on the key aspect of the swing, which most products that are coming out now are trying to do everything in one product, which is impossible because I don't know that's what I think. I mean, I'm not, I know there's other brands that have the video capability, especially the shot monitors now, right? They have mm -hmm. the video capability, but it's not giving you the feedback. It's just, I mean, it's, it's like half-ass feedback. It's like, okay, yeah, that's what I look like from behind, but it, you, you know, like, does that going to help me later on? Probably not, you know? The, the um, key thing, so there's like this whole science in, um, about, about learning in terms of, creating essentially muscle memory, right? So I've, I've been reading a couple of really great books. Um, there's this book called The Talent Code, um, where he talks about sort of what makes people really great at what they do. And one of the things he talks about is this idea of directed practice or deep practice is what he calls it. And deep practice is a state where you're really paying attention to to every movement that you're making but and, and you're, you're you're looking for constant feedback so that you can correct you you're making micro corrections constantly right and you really focused on building the correct muscle memory the correct muscle path the neural paths that help you then offload that the, the, the key thing about muscle memory so that it turns out there really is such a thing as muscle memory um it's it's not truly memory that resides in your muscles it's actually memory that resides in the nerve paths that activate the muscles. But the more you train a specific movement, the more it becomes secondary, like this idea that you can do it without having to think about it, right? It becomes kind of like an autonomous system. And so what you find is, you know, great players, they're not thinking about where they are in their backswing. They just think, make a backswing, right? They're not thinking, you know, how high the hands are. If and then they go in the zone too, right? Like that's the yes. zone. Like they're not even thinking. It's just automatic you know like right and, and the reason like, they can do that is because they've done it so many times that they've kind of basically honed those neural pathways where it just it's like a needle in a groove you know once you you really dug it out deep you just kind of set it automatically follows that path and the problem for a lot of amateur golfers is that works great when you're you've worked on something and it's perfect but it also works the opposite if you've done something wrong your whole life it'll automatically kind of jump back into that old groove, into that bad groove. Well, yeah, or you're self-taught, right? Like, yeah, you know, and you're okay play. You know, I feel like a lot of players are self-taught, and that's why everyone's in their 80s, shoots 80s and 90s. And the reason why is because yeah. they don't have the time or the money, right, to get better. Yeah. Now, they want to get better, but they don't, have, they don't have either of those two things to use, right? So they're like, it's kind of like the drug, right? The drug is, I want to get below 80, but you'll never get it because you can't spend the time that's needed, right? 
one way or another to do right. it. Now, like for like when I used to play golf, like, when I, was, I used to be a pilot, right? Before I was a lawyer, oh, wow. and like I used to like when I was instructing and I was a younger pilot, like I'd work in the mornings and in Arizona, it's it super freaking hot. So you can't sw- fly, right? Cause air, air, uh, air density. So we go golf. It's hot, but who cares? And I was golfing like every single day. Right. And I got really good. Even though I was a crappy golfer, you know, like I, I don't, I wasn't professionally trained. I just, but because I was playing every day, you, like, like you're saying, it's like you, you know, when we play golf, we go, oh, I screwed that up. Why am I screwing that up? You start playing with your mental game, right? But it's like if you start doing that like every single day, you're not solely you start chipping away at screwing up. You figure out what works. But like exactly what you're saying right now, it's like, you know, the, if the groove is there and you're only going to the groove one time every two months, then it's like mm-hmm. you'll never you'll never get it. I'm and I'm right. the first person to admit it because I'm that's me. Like I don't. Like I'm embarrassed when I go out sometimes. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, so you're a pilot and a lawyer. So now I'm the one who's impressed because when I was a kid, nah, yeah, I always yeah. wanted to be a pilot. So that's, that's nah, really cool. That's a, yeah, I did that for a while and then went to law school. Oh. I'll tell you that story offline though if you want to hear it. It's long. Um, I actually do. But I mean, I, what I like about – here's my opinion on Shane Yang, right? Shane Yang is a good dude. I like I said, I've worked with Shane for a while now. I think his products cool. I actually have like their box on my shelf right here on my products that I actually like a lot. Very cool. I use Shane's product, uh, and I think it's cool. Like, it's very it's simple. It doesn't like there's a lot of noise right now in the industry, and like people just buy things because they think oh it's flashy or it's part of a bigger system. But like you don't really need that. Like you just need something that's gonna work that is durable like if you look at the camera that thing's that thing's like a brick man that is, that's not like some flimsy iphone you know like that plastic hard and there's a reason why it's durable because it's going to be knocked around in a bag or you can put that in your bag right you literally could take mm-hmm. the pod put the pod like shaft into your with your shafts and then put the i the mm-hmm. um the live view yeah i do that all the and you time have it. Mm-hmm. and then it's like yeah, oh i, I have I my stuff with always. me cool like you're at the range and like something goes sideways. Like, God, I wish I could see what I'm doing. And it's like, no, I can't. I've got my live view in my bag and I've got the live pod to set it up and I'm ready to go. I think it's cool. I think it's really cool. Thank you. So what is it? What does the live view cost now? It's like two something, right? Um, we're at 349 for the live view pro. Okay. But I think your um, listeners have um, uh, access to a special promotion. Oh, I just don't remember. I've been doing it forever. That's why. Um, <laughs> for real, I don't remember. I just remember, like so. If you get the Live View Pro, uh, do you? That's just with the Pro itself. Now, if you want to buy, is there packages? Like, if you want the Pod or any extra features or what? Or is that um, separate? We order? sell the we sell the Pod separate. It's um, forty nine dollars on our website. Um, you know, most of the stuff you can get directly off of website um we do sell it through amazon but you're basically getting the same thing from, from getting us. Like, yeah it's coming now is that amazon yours or is that like is that your is they coming from you or is it coming through a distributor on amazon yeah so we are actually fulfilling the amazon request directly i don't know i like it shane's been a friend for mine for a while i know i think you guys like if you're looking for something that will actually really help you with your golf game like the live view and it's reasonably priced, right? Like if you're gonna go buy a shot monitor, they're like $500. Like you can buy some cheap ass one. That's kind of crappy. I'm not gonna name brands, 
for like 250 but like you know if you want a decent monitor it's like fi- a minimum 500 bucks right that's for like the rapsodo or the mevo right, right. or you can go with the garmin and which is like 650 750 right now or you can go with the mevo plus which is two grand so it's like you get a, you can get the you know the live view for whatever 350 say 400 bucks right which with the stand and mm-hmm. you don't need all that other crap unless you care about how far you hit the ball I mean, it's important to you and whatever. Um, <laughs> but the I thing is, the ball. If, you, if you fix your swing, the ball will go, right? I mean, Exactly. It's like the chicken before the egg, right? Like, okay, I want to hit yeah. the ball far. Well, maybe you should figure out your swing, and you'll consistently hit the ball far or straight, not one yeah. of every ten, right? Like, yeah. So I think I, I think that's the key takeaway. So where can people find the Live View? What's your website? It's liveviewsports.com. Honestly, guys, I love it. It's great. Like, it's – Shane's a real deal, and if you guys want to like get better, definitely check out the live view. Well, thanks for being on the show today, and thanks for thanks, uh, always being part of our team, brands we like to talk to and use. So, well, thanks for having me. You guys need to check out Live View, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of Behind the Golf Brand Podcast. You're going to beat me? Golf. Stay connected on and off the show by visiting golfersauthority.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a comment. Golf is always more fun when you win. Stay out of the beach and see you on the green.